Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Museum of Science in Boston, working to inspire everyone to push the boundaries of what's possible through hands-on exhibits, interactive programs, K-12 engineering curricula, and educator resources. Learn more at mos.org. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. One of the hardest things for a leader to do is change minds. President Obama said that a real regret of his was not convincing more of the country to embrace his health care plan. Sometimes you've got leaders who just completely fail to make inroads or who get left behind by ordinary people. So the Catholic Church ultimately failed to convince people that the sun revolved around the earth. And on an issue like gay marriage, ordinary Americans have shifted really quickly. Some of it is a generational shift. And lots of mainstream politicians have followed their constituents. But when it comes to climate change, American leaders are all over the map. Today, there is no greater threat to our planet than climate change. Well, I'm not a big believer in man-made climate change. It could be some impact, but I don't believe it's uh, a devastating impact. The overwhelming majority of scientists are saying climate change is real. Climate change is caused by human activity. My point is God's still up there. And the arrogance of people who think that we, human beings, would be able to change what he is doing in the climate is, to me, outrageous. That was President Obama, President-elect Trump, Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, and Senator James Inhofe of Oklahoma. About half of Americans think that climate change is due to human activity. The other half either think it's natural warming or maybe there isn't any climate change at all. But a solid majority of Americans, so more than 60 percent, think we'll have to change our way of life because of climate change and that rough times are ahead. More fires, droughts, floods, beach erosion. Michael Ranney at the University of California, Berkeley, has spent years looking at how people process different scientific concepts, including climate change. I asked him, how do leaders balance the fact that people aren't really sure that climate change is real, but... They're concerned that it's going to hurt their world. I think it's interesting to compare the United States to what I call the peer nations, which are other industrialized, post-industrial nations. I mean, if, if you realize that, what, 196 countries have signed on to the Paris Accord, then why is it that our nation is one of the few that's thinking of unsigning uh, on that document? So there's particularly an American problem Uh, It's kind of an American exceptionalism. And that's one of the reasons why I got into this, that there's something peculiar about the United States and our history. But I also think it's it's one of the difficulties of having a political system that is geared more toward short-term thinking. That is that if if you're not going to be in office in seven years or five years or three years, you know, depending on where you are in the federal government or something like that, then your approach is a little bit more short-term. It's a little like our corporate uh, structure where many people are focusing on the value of, of a particular stock and equity until they stop being CEO, that person stops being CEO. So the incoming uh, president, of course, uh, Donald Trump, has said that um, – He thinks that climate change may be a a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. Do you think or what do you think that means for America's and Americans' acceptance of um, climate science? Well, I believe that Donald Trump has taken multiple positions on that. 
Um, so in the uh, one of the debates with Hillary Clinton, he denied saying that it was a hoax, and yet clearly it was on a Twitter feed. Um, he also has, um, at least his public persona, has a kind of a muddled understanding of the science. So I can uh, I can give you a, a, a basically a quote that he gave in I believe it was May of 2016, May 5th where he was speaking to an audience in West Virginia. And he said, basically, I said, basically to this climate scientist, wait a minute, so if I take hairspray... So if I take hairspray, and if I spray it in my apartment, which is all sealed, and you're telling me that affects the ozone layer. Yes. I say, no way, folks, no way. So, you know, I study how scientific information can change people's minds. So if he really believes that, what does it mean for his understanding of, like, molecules? I mean, does he think that uh, the molecules that are in the hairspray that, that, uh, that hurt the ozone layer, that they just sort of fall to the ground and then his housekeeper sweeps them up later? Or does he think that his apartment really is sealed? And that would be very dangerous for someone who builds buildings, right? Because, like, the V in HVAC is for ventilation systems, right? So <laughs> it, uh, it would probably cause carbon monoxide poisoning, which might account for this comment, actually. <laughs> uh, but basically, you know, he's sort of suggesting that molecules that are in his domicile can't go anywhere, whereas, in fact, you know, molecules do. And, you know, every breath I take in, purportedly has at least one molecule from the last breath of Julius Caesar. So you have to wonder, you know, what sort of, of scientific model is he working on such that, that he thinks that? So I know you've come up with all sorts of ways to explain climate change to people. Um, you, you can explain it in a few hundred words, um, in 35 words, in a haiku. Um, but I want to ask about the science of climate change versus the science of other things that we deal with or we think about on a regular basis, because I don't know that most people know how to explain why the world is is round, for example. But they pretty much accept it as, as being round. Um, or in a very different example, if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, look, you've got cancer, you need to take chemotherapy. I don't know that most people would sit the doctor down and insist on understanding like the biology and the chemistry of how chemo works before they accepted it as real. So why is climate change so different? Well, I don't think it's necessarily so different. Like uh, any physician who's worth her or his salt would probably at least give you some sense of why mm. the chemicals are necessary. And, you know, the haiku or the 35 words or the 400 mm. words, this is just the tip of the uh, the iceberg, so to speak, of a lot of science that goes on underneath it. And so, you know, um, that's also true in in the the doctor's office. That is, it's a poor patient who just accepts, you know, the first diagnosis and the first treatment in, in uh, especially, you know, cancer and so forth, because there are often options and so forth. So I don't think it's that different. On the other hand, I think that there's also a more proximal problem when you've just been told you need chemotherapy, right? I mean, there's a chance that you're going to die in your lifetime from this thing that's happening in your body. Right. Whereas the problem with global warming is you really have to think longer term mm -hmm. about uh, your older self, your children, or maybe your friends' children's or your cousins' or mm -hmm. plants you like, species you enjoy, 
animals that you like to have frolicking maybe after your death, mountain size that you want to be a little prettier and so mm-hmm. forth. And so, you know, there's a, there's a more of a probabilistic thing. Like, is this going to get me or is this going to get my kid? Right, or maybe, right. you know, there's Pollyannish thinking where, oh, well, we'll just grow bananas in Montana, right. you know. And who knows if there'll be bees around to do any pollination or whatnot. And so there's a lot of wishful thinking involved and a lot of fear. And then there's, there's a patina of greed. So it's what we in psychology referred to as motivated reasoning. I can just tell you a little bit of a story. When I was flying across country, I sat next to a fellow who noticed my slides as I was working on them on my laptop. And he was uh, someone who denied global warming. And I believe a lot of it was from fear. That is that he has three daughters and some grandkids and he's worried about the future. And when I asked him what he thought was causing Earth to warm up, because he seemed to accept that it was warming, Mm -hmm. he said that it was volcanoes and uh, that he thinks there's more volcanic activity. And I said, well, okay, so why is there more volcanic activity now than in the past? He said, well, I don't know. And I said, so I have this mechanistic explanation that explains the change, why we're getting hotter now because of this human-caused increase in greenhouse gases. And yet your explanation does not explain the change. Uh, Why would you prefer your explanation to mine, which is clearly just insufficient from like a philosophy of science perspective? And this guy was like an engineer and he owned his own company and, and, and so forth. And he couldn't explain that. And I must say that I think some of it was just from his fear of the future for either his older self or his descendants, Hmm. and also a bit of a financial perspective because he was related to the fossil fuel industry. Hmm. And then, you know, as he was getting off the plane, he said, and I also think it's gotten too political. And, you know, that was another sort of key, that he was allying with an identity Hmm. that um, seemed to think that global warming was not something that should be acceptable. And so that, that was inhibiting him from accepting the scientific information. Now, I'm sure that if I had him on a desert island for a couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> within a, within It wasn't a long enough hours, plane flight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I could turn him. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure I could turn Trump, maybe even Senator Inhofe. You know, you can, you can turn people, but, you know, there's only so much that you can do if people have some sort of fear that's keeping them from accepting it. A sense that it's too expensive, which it's not, as I sort of laid out, that it's it's pretty cheap. Not only that, it would have great health benefits to fix um, global warming as well in terms of, you know, the stuff we're sucking into our lungs and into our waterways and so forth. So, you know, I think that there are a lot of reasons why people deny it and that those will fall away relatively quickly as the science becomes more, uh, you know, 100 percent clear as the effects become greater and something related to what you were pointing out, that there'll be a generational shift. Mm-hmm. That is that one of the reasons that people switch their opinion on gay marriage is that younger people were more accepting of it. They uh, knew more gay people in their lives. And people who were less accepting of it were no longer voting uh, you know, because of mortality. And there's going to be some of that going on in, uh, in global warming as well. There are significant demographics that indicate that um, you know, eventually – It'll be uh, near universal acceptance, in my view. It's just a question of how long and the sooner the better, obviously, in terms of, of fixing the problem. So 
I'm interested in what you've seen over the course of your career because we talked. I've talked about different kinds of changes in opinion, gay marriage, um, but also is the Earth round or is it flat? You know, and other sort of acceptance of you know different sort of sorts of realities, scientific or otherwise. What have you seen uh, in terms of climate change, and and what's what do you see happening? Well, I see less and less denial of climate change, both among politicians and in the press. That is, there are fewer people that will say, you know, that the science is out. Uh, Occasionally, people will bring that up, but it's becoming less and less common. And I think that was really a, a difficulty with journalism, and journalists bear some responsibility for that. I've actually taught a bit in the journalism school here at Berkeley on numeracy and such matters. And, you know, sort of the knee-jerk reaction is to have sort of the two sides represented. Right. represented. Right. But, you know, we wouldn't do that with gravity. We'd say, and we mm. found a physicist who does not accept that mm. gravity is occurring. Right. right? So uh, I, I think as there's less and less of that pseudo-balance that people are, are coming to accept it. And also I think that the the physical circumstances are changing. That is, if you get flooding in Miami on a sunny day, just because the sea level has risen and, you know, you're getting a little bit of a storm surge or a high tide or something like that. I mean, if all the ice on the planet melted, our sea level would go up by about 214 feet, which, of course, would wipe out virtually all of Florida, let alone a lot of the East Coast cities like New York, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and places like that. So, So if you yeah, so if you think about the extreme, now I'm not going to say this is going to happen in the next 10 years or even the century, right? But eventually, if we keep dumping greenhouse gases into the atmosphere without abatement, that will likely happen. And so it's uh, if, if that's really an extreme, uh, we should worry about that. And also, we're seeing droughts. We're seeing fires. I mean, even in the South, in Tennessee and places like that, it was a tinderbox uh, getting near December 1st. Now, in what past did we live in in which there were fires going on in that part of the world, you know, that uh, late in the year. So people are getting the message, you know, firefighters know that it's the case that global warming is occurring. The the uh, sizes of, of the fires we're fighting uh, roughly double, and they're occurring with greater frequency. There's uh, more tinder, there are tree die-offs in the West. You know, when I went back to Colorado recently where I grew up, it was sort of sad to see how many trees had died off. So people are getting a sense uh, across the nation that these effects are occurring. And the, the unfortunately, the more that happens, the more minds are going to be changed because unlike evolution, which is sort of a story of our past mm-hmm. and we, how, how we got here, global warming is about our present and our future as well as evidentially from our past. Michael Ranney is a professor of cognitive psychology at the University of California at Berkeley. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Michael Ranney mentioned Miami as a U.S. city that is particularly susceptible to climate change. The University of Miami found that not only is sea level rise happening in Miami, it's speeding up. Used to be three millimeters a year, now it's nine. The chief resilience officer of Miami-Dade County, James Murley, works on helping Miami adapt to climate change. 
He says in the 20 years that he's lived in the area, the biggest change he sees is the effect of powerful tides. Sometimes it's called uh, sunny day flooding because uh, our citizens are experiencing water, salt water in the streets and there's been no rain event or any kind of a storm surge. So it obviously leads to questions of, you know, what's happened, what's changing over time. So that, that's probably the most noticeable thing. But along with flooded streets, there's politics. The governor of Florida, Rick Scott, doesn't like to answer questions about climate change, and he often says, I'm not a scientist. In 2015, the Florida Center for Investigative Reporting said the governor had banned the Department of Environmental Protection from using the terms climate change and global warming. And Murley says it's hard to get people to worry about something that moves so slowly it's measured in millimeters. People react to events. Matter of fact, it's an event that creates the opportunity, the federal government, and you know everyone wants to help the community that's just been heavily damaged by a, any, a storm event or uh, some other activity. And so the funding to do a lot of things happens after these events. And what we need is funding from uh, our, our own resources, but certainly from the state and federal government to address some of these things before we have the events. Because as we do that, we'll be building up the resilience and, and uh, other actions to not only protect us from the, the catastrophic events, but also to build resilience in for sea level rise. Now, in some ways, sea level rise has moved beyond politics for people in South Florida, and it's tapped into something that's even more important, money. There's huge amounts of money tied up in Miami real estate, and huge numbers of people who have settled in the area hoping for their little piece of paradise. A hundred years ago, the population of Miami-Dade County was about 15,000. Now it's about 2.5 million. And Murley says making Miami a place that people love to come visit, that's crucial. Look, we realize that living and enjoying and visiting South Florida is about some sense of, of uh, what you'll experience there. And if, if we lose that, you know, we'll lose some of the magic of South Florida. So we want people to understand, we understand there's risk. Uh, we're dealing with our scientists all the time to get better data, uh, and we're, we're adapting. But listen closely to Murley, who knows he's living inside a tough political sandwich, and how he talks about working closely with elected officials. And you'll hear one serious conundrum. You know, I think we don't spend a lot of time uh, going over the details of why things are happening. We're aware of the of the empirical data that shows we've had these increases. We're aware of the events uh, that we're experiencing, and we're keenly aware of what our scientists are telling us. The question is, if you don't look at the details of why things are happening, can you ever really address them? Or are you just kind of left rattling around inside your toolkit wondering, what might hold back the ocean? Moon over Miami Shine on as we begin A dream or two that may come true When the tide comes in We've got a link to a great piece from The New Yorker about Miami's efforts to stay dry and to protect that very pricey real estate. That's at innovationhub.org. After each song to the stars Moon over Miami you know we're waiting for a little love, a little kiss, 
on my ass.